Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and the Moon podcast. As always, I'm your host, David, and today is super exciting because we're going to be talking about divination, which is not something that I have ever talked about before on Magic and the Moon. And because divination is so broad and encompasses so many different practices that are very different, um, this episode is going to be more of a general overview into what divination is, how it's used, why it's used, and kind of brief introductions into different methods of divination. And then in the coming weeks, um, as it comes up, I will do more specific episodes about actual particular methods of divination. Um, so today is going to be more of kind of an overall introduction into divination as a concept. And then going forward, I will have specific episodes about like tarot and oracle cards, about um, scrying, rune stones, etc. So as we get into it, I'm going to give the same disclaimer that I try to give before every episode and just say that any views or opinions expressed in this show are only my own. I am not speaking on behalf of any particular tradition or coven. So these are just my own thoughts and my own views about things mixed in with perhaps um, a little bit of history. So something that I say or examples I give don't quite line up with maybe your practice or what you're taught, that's totally fine. Um, but as with anything that I talk about on the show, I just want to encourage everyone to do some research, ask people that you can trust that have some knowledge on a particular subject and kind of come to your own conclusions of things. So the word divination comes from the Latin word divinare, which means to foresee, foretell, predict, or prophesy. And it is related to the word divinus, which means to be inspired by God. And divination is a practice that is meant to gain insight into a situation usually through a standardized process of a structured ritual. Um, and that was kind of wordy, but that was the definition of divination according to Wikipedia. Um, divination is widely used across many different cultures and religions and time periods. So the methods that people might choose to go about this vary drastically. So we're going to attempt to get into this as much as we have time for today. So divination can actually trace its roots back to antiquity. Um, in Egypt, there's an oracle called the Oracle of Amun, which was located at the Siwa Oasis, which was made famous by Alexander the Great after he conquered Egypt in 332 BCE. Um, there are even references to divination in the biblical Old Testament in the examples of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, that is usually interpreted as basically God saying that divination is bad and not to do it. However, some people would claim that divination is actually even practiced in the Bible. So in the book of Exodus, when the Urim and Thormim are mentioned, some people said that Gideon practiced divination. I am one of those people that would say that because he basically did. Um, basically, in the book of Judges, Gideon was like, hey, God, let me see if you're actually talking to me. So he would put a piece of um, a wool fleece out and he told God, hey, um, if the ground around this fleece is dry, but the fleece is wet, then I'll know that it's you. And then he wanted a second sign from God. So the next day he said, okay, God, if um, the fleece is wet, but the ground is dry, I'll know it's you. So that 
for those of you that are familiar with divination, you can pretty easily conclude that that's basically what he was doing. Um, and as with many concepts in like Judaism, Christianity, a lot of the more occult practices and what they did in their religion were very, very similar, but they just didn't give the same names to them. Um, but essentially, he was communicating to God through what we now call divination. Um, another biblical concept is casting lots, which is used to define like who gets this piece of land, who's chosen for this assignment. So it, divination absolutely exists and was practiced in the Old Testament biblically. Those are some references for it. Um, this brings us to the Greek oracles and their divination. So both oracles and seers in ancient Greece practiced divination. Oracles were the conduits for the gods on earth and their prophecies were understood to be the will of the gods verbatim or word for word. And because of the high demand for oracle consultations and their limited schedule, they were not the main source of divination for the ancient Greeks, which um, that role of kind of like the more common everyday divination, that role fell to the seers. So seers, were said to not be in direct contact with the gods. Instead, they would just interpret signs given by the gods. So to make this distinction a little bit more clear, oracles were thought to basically be channeling the gods inside of them, and whatever they said was almost as if they were quoting the gods directly. Seers, on the other hand, were not in direct contact with the gods. They would simply interpret different signs that were said to be from the gods. So seers used many methods to explicate the will of the gods. Um, including weather interpretations, um, the activity of perhaps animals or birds, they would use a process that was called extispicity, which I said weird, probably not the correct pronunciation. Basically what extispicity means is they would sacrifice an animal and they would examine the organs of the animal that would come out and then they would use that as a method of divination. Um, so those are some methods. There were many numerous other ways that oracles and seers would go about things. Um, there were more seers than oracles and they had a more open schedule. So they were a little bit more accessible um, to the Greek people at that time than oracles were. Um, oracles also tended to be associated with a particular place. Like we've probably all heard of the Oracle at Delphi, and that's because that Oracle was at Delphi. You would have to travel to that specific location to seek their services, whereas seers were more free to travel and kind of move about where they needed to go. Um, the disadvantage of seers was that the only direct yes or no questions could be answered. Um, oracles could answer some more generalized questions, and seers often had to perform many different sacrifices in order to get a consistent answer. So for example, if a general wanted to know if the omens were proper for him to advance his troops on the enemy, he would ask his seer that question and ask the question if it would be better to remain on the defensive. So if the seer gave consistent answers, then the advice was considered valid. So during battle, generals would frequently ask seers at the campground and the battlefield, um, and the hyra, which was the campground seer, the seer would slaughter a sheep and examine the liver for answers regarding a more generic question. The sphagia, or the battlefield seer, would kill a, usually a female goat by slitting its throat, and they would interpret the animal's movements and blood flow 
as a sign. And the battlefield sacrifice only occurred when two armies prepared for battle against each other, and neither force would advance until the seer would receive an appropriate omen or sign. Because the seers had such power over in, um, influential people in ancient Greece, a lot of people were very skeptical about how honest they were because power tends to go to people's heads. And the degree to which the seers were honest depends entirely on the individual. So looking back at this, you know, in hindsight, from the perspective of history, there's not really a way to tell how truthful they were being. Um, but just like with anyone today, um, people's motivations can vary. So in the Middle Ages and the early modern period, um, the primary method of divination was called casting lots, which I mentioned briefly as we were discussing the Bible. Um, this is also called cleromancy. Um, so this was used by the disciples of Jesus, minus Judas, because he had um, hung himself at this point. So this cleromancy was used by the 11 remaining disciples of Jesus in the book of Acts in the New Testament, and they were basically selecting a replacement for Judas. Um, therefore, divination was probably a pretty accepted practice in the Christian church, at least at this time. But again, this comes into play with a lot of Christian influence traditions are actually very similar to a lot of pagan type things. But because, you know, of their projected association as being bad or evil, they had to be very careful about what they called these methods, even though they might overlap very significantly. So in 692, Common Era, the Quinisex Council, also known as the Council of Trullo in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they passed canons or essentially laws to eliminate pagan and divination practices. So fortune telling and other forms of divination were pretty widespread throughout the Middle Ages. And in the Constitution of 1572 and Public Relations of 1661 of the Saxon region, um, capital punishment was issued for people that were trying to predict the future. So basically, if you were fortune telling, using divination at all, you would be executed. Um, and there are actually some parts of the world where this is still the case today. Sometimes in certain areas of the world, um, divination is still illegal. So the area of Småland, and again, I'm not super sure on that pronunciation, it's a Swedish word, but Småland is a province in, uh, <laughs> in southern Sweden, excuse me, and they are famous for a practice called arsang, which is um, a divination method that became popular in the early 19th century. And usually around Christmas and New Year's time, they would fast and keep themselves away from light in a dark room. And they would complete a set of very complex events to interpret symbols encountered through their journey to gain insight into the coming year. So basically at night, they would have all their candles blown out. It would be completely dark and they wouldn't eat or drink anything for many, many hours. And they would interpret their experiences in those conditions to mean um, kind of what was to be expected of the next year that would be coming soon. In Mesoamerica, um, divination was very, very important. It was a central component of religious life. And many Aztec gods, including the central creator deities, were described as being diviners. And they were very clo um, closely associated with sorcery and witchcraft. Uh, Texcapulca is the patron of sorcerers and the practitioners of magic. And his name means smoking mirror, which is a reference to basically what we would now call scrying. 
um, in the Mayan Popolva, the creator gods Zumashani and Zepiak performed divinatory hand casting during the creation of the human race. An early civilization that developed in pre-Columbian Mexico, from the Olmecs to the Aztecs, they practiced divination in their daily life, both in public and in private, and scrying through the use of reflective water and also mirrors or casting lots were among the most widespread forms of divination practice. Um, they would also use like hallucinatory substances to have visions, and that was an important thing that they did as well. And um, it could be said that that's actually still practice today um, among certain people. You know, if you've heard of like um, ayahuasca or peyote, uh, marijuana, even morning glory plants, those are still some pretty common hallucinogenic compounds that are used in this way. Um, there is a pretty substantial movement of contemporary divination in Asia. And although Japan retains a history of traditional methods of divination, such as omyodo, um, there's also some things that come from outside sources as well. So some contemporary things in China and Japan are astrology, which is the interpretation of stars and constellations, um, geomancy, which is the interpretation of numbers or numerology, and there's also feng shui, which you may have heard of as the strategic arranging of objects and the layout in the home to interpret the flow of energy, and of course, tarot cards. And there's something called physiognomy, which is basically a method of reading signs in the body to interpret certain things. And um, rather than indicate cultural appropriation, understood as an inappropriate act, of course, of appropriation by a dominant culture that takes away something from a minority, Japanese divination has a very unique and creative kind of combination of cultural elements. Um, this might be referred to as syncretism, curlization, or hybridization. So um, in the example of Feng Shui, Japanese adaptations usually extend outside of the traditional form and they might apply that instead of just to the home, they might use it in the aspect of cars, the workplace, um, application of makeup, things like that. Um, personality typing has become very, very popular recently. If you've heard of um, the Myers-Briggs personality test or even like the Enneagram, things like that, the personality typing is essentially a form of divination and it's been present um, in many cultures, but it's been particularly popular in Japan since the 1980s. And varied methods exist for using this personality type. So each attempt to reveal glimpses of an individual's destiny, productivity, and their natural traits, that all counts as this. Um, this could be just really vague general outlines of personality. It might be like marriage compatibility. It might be used to determine someone's health. And personality typing is very, very popular among young people. And it's actually considered to be a very driving factor of compatibility among Japanese young people. And people may think that this is actually contributing to the declining birth rate in Japan. So um, an import to Japan is the Chinese zodiac based on the birth year and 12 cycles, which are the rat, ox, tiger, hare, dragon, snake, horse, sheep, monkey, cock, dog, and boar. And these are frequently combined with other forms of divination, which are called celestial types based on planetary movement. So Saturn, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Mercury, and Uranus, not 
that unlike Western astrology. And personality can also be divine using the cardinal directions and the four elements, so north, east, south, and west, and water, earth, fire, and air, as well as the concepts of yin and yang. So um, there's also a big contemporary divination movement in Africa. And divination is widespread through Africa, and many examples exist. Um, one of them is the central tenet of the Sera religion in Senegal, and only those who have been initiated um, as priests and priestesses are said to be able to see the future. And there are what's called hereditary reign priests who have kind of a combination of a religious and a medicinal role, and it, that is heavily based around predicting and interpreting the signs of the weather. Um, there are specialized diviners called Oboegra, as well as the Ob Oranmila from the Edo people of West Africa. And for thousands of years, they've used divination as a means of interpreting the past and predicting the future. And they are trained in Iha, which is their form of divination. The Yoruba people of West Africa are internationally known for having developed the Ifa system, which is an intricate process of divination is performed by an awo, which is an initiated priest or priestess who um, follows the spirit of the Yoruba oracle. So that is kind of an outline of the brief timeline and some examples of divination globally. And now let's get into some more popular methods of divination today. Um, there's many, 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 and of course, there's not gonna be enough time to cover every single thing in this episode, but I'm going to hit on some of the more popular ones. Um, so one, of course, is astrology, and that's probably one that most people are familiar with. Um, so it is basically applying significance and meaning from the movement of constellations and where they were when someone was born, as well as the movements of planetary bodies. Um, another pretty big one is bottlemancy, which is the burning of plants such as sage, figs, or really any herb, which has its origin, uh, excuse me, its origins in Greece. And another very, very popular one is called cartomancy, C-A-R-T-O-M-A-N-C-Y. And that is basically um, the gaining of insight through the reading of cards. This would in include uh, tarot cards and oracle cards. Um, there is another one called Bibliomancy, which is using the Bible as a method of divination. This would also include the use of other holy books. So perhaps um, the Kabbalic texts, um, the Torah, the Quran, perhaps. Basically, it's the use of a, um, a holy religious text for use in divination. Um, there's also a similar concept called Stoichiomancy. Um, which is the use of the Greek writings of the Iliad and the Odyssey. And this is used a similar way as perhaps the Bible or the Quran. Some other examples are going to be um, cyclomancy, was the interpretation of the movement of wheels as they rotate in cycles. Um, some people use what's called dowsing, which is using a divining rod or a staff. And this would be an attempt to like hit the ground in a strategic way. And it was said that it was able to either like locate an object underground or even perhaps find like water sources. Um, 
interpretation of dreams is probably one of the most common kinds of divination and it's been present across almost every culture and religion has their own version of the interpretation of dreams so whether that's viewed as a psychological tool or if it's thought to be a message from like ancestors or spirits or a deity another popular method is dreaminancy which is the interpretation of bodily fluids so if that's um urine, feces, uh, sexual discharge, blood, saliva, all of that. The another popular method is electromancy, which is the interpretation of electricity in general, but specifically lightning in the sky. There is the practice of empiromancy, which basically is um, interpreting signs out of the pattern of fire as it moves and burns. So that's very similar to what a lot of us would now call fire spraying. Um, there's enthusiasm, which doesn't just mean the emotion of being excited. This is referring to when someone is said to be um, under the influence of divinity or a spirit and they're speaking on their behalf. So for example, when someone um, engages in drawing down the moon or the sun and they're speaking on behalf of like the goddess or the god, that is an example of that it's not unlike prophecy and of course there is many many others but those are just a few examples um horoscopes which has a lot to the astrology but specifically like birth charts and things would be included in that and those are just a few examples um necromancy would be of course like speaking to the dead or the spirits of the dead Numerology is interpretation of numbers, and the list goes on and on and on. There's many, many kinds. Um, so let's get a little bit into one particular method of divination with the time we have left, which is going to be tarot. So again, like with anything, there's not enough time in an episode to include everything that is encompassed in tarot, but this will be a very brief introduction to tarot. So tarot's origins actually are just of a playing card game. And in some parts of the world, particularly Western Europe, tarot cards are still used mostly as just a card game. There's not any spiritual significance that's associated with it. Um, but in the context of it being a divination method of cardomancy, that is most commonly used with the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck. There are many, many kinds of tarot decks. Um, I would recommend the Rider-Waite-Smith deck personally, just because many of the like more stylistic decks that we're seeing come up now are usually derived from that format. So if someone is trying to use tarot for the first time and to begin learning it, I would recommend the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. So tarot, um, a deck usually has 78 cards and they are divided into two distinct parts. So the first part is called the Major Arcana, which is also called the Greater Secrets. And they consist of 22 cards, and they are not associated with suits. Um, these are probably, the major arcana are probably what most people picture in their minds when they think of tarot. These are the very picturesque and like specific cards that usually stand out. Um, so they are the magician, the high priestess, the empress, the emperor, the hierophant, the lovers, the chariot, strength, the Hermit, the Wheel of Fortune, Justice, the Hanged Man, 
death, temperance, the devil, the tower, the star, the moon, the sun, judgment, the world, and the fool. And the cards from the magician to the world are numbered in Roman numerals from one to 21. And the fool is usually either unnumbered or sometimes it's the beginning of the deck as number zero or at the end of the deck as number 22. The second part is the minor arcana, also called the lesser secrets. And it consists of 56 cards divided into four suits of 14 cards each. So when I say suits, um, it is similar to like when you think of suits like a regular playing card deck. So like if you have like a regular deck of cards that's not tarot, right? It's gonna have diamonds, hearts, spades, and clubs. So tarot also has suits. Um, and those are gonna be swords, which is usually associated with the air element. Wands, which is usually associated with fire. Pentacles, usually associated with earth. And then cups or chalices, which are associated with water. And there are more things specifically that those can get into as far as like their significance and kind of what like other categories they can be divided into. But this is a very general um, overview of divination as a whole and a very quick sneak peek into kind of some things about tarot specifically. So I hope this has been helpful. And as with anything else, I encourage you all to go research, fact check, um, see what you seem drawn to and focus on that particular method and research that specifically, as well as of course, ask people that you can trust um, who have some more knowledge and experience perhaps and see what they have to say. And I hope this has been great. I will see you guys next week for the next episode in our divination series. And I will talk to you all then.